0: Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us either in person at one of our permanent locations, maybe online, on our online site, maybe on demand, or maybe on a podcast. No matter who you are, where you're coming from, welcome today. Now, today is the beginning of a new mini three-week series on what in the world is next for us as a local church in this post-pandemic moment. So if you belong or love or are assigned to and committed to Sanctus Church, This is for you. And we all know this. I'm just going to say what's on our minds. We all know it's not the same anymore. It's not going to be the same as we knew it. And if there's one word I suppose we all could use these days, it's rebuilding. I mean, we're all thinking it. What's going to be the same as a church? As a church, what will be different? What's going to be paused? What's going to have to be shelved? What's going to be new? Rebuilding, repurposing, repositioning, relaunching And our church is no different than every other local church around us and globally trying to find our way in this brand new world. Now, don't forget, the mission of our church will never change at its core, no matter circumstance or season. Our God-given vision will have a shelf life and strategies that help us move towards mission and vision can change in any season. We've taught that here for years. Now, we're going to talk about more of that later in the series, but I just want to sort of sit back for a moment. And talk about what's on our mind so many of you have come to me personally or online or direct messaged me and said john just where's everyone gone well many people that belong to sanctus moved they moved to other parts of ontario canada and actually the world many others have joined us in the last 12 to 15 months because they moved and you haven't met them because they're new to our community yes some have left to other churches some actually quite a few are really struggling with church in general right now because so many leaders just keep falling. Many others of us are at home online. We haven't engaged in person yet, but we're fully committed and in. Just an example, two weeks ago, I was talking to Pastor Holly who oversees our online site, and there was over 600 people watching online between the 9 and 10.30 experience uh, gathering with us even though they were virtual. And that doesn't include kids, that doesn't include On Demand Later or or the podcast. In other words, it's simple. The digital and personal reality is just now the new normal. Many others have chosen to come back in person, but it's in a semi-regular way to one of our four physical locations. Now, despite all the stops and all the starts and all the shutdowns and all the lockdowns over the last 12 months, we were able to reopen five sites, launch youth and young adults again, and Alpha and Freedom Session and kids, the list goes on. There have been amazing stories. You've heard some of them where people have been watching online on YouTube or on demand and became Christians literally in their living room and showed up and got baptized. Youth worship has started for the first time in a very long time. Youth leadership teams are being formed, connect groups are being launched the elders have been working hard during this whole pandemic to prepare for the next round of elders there is good news yes there even is glimpses of momentum but things also are really really hard and they're tough we're thin on giving I mean we're doing okay but not amazing and we're really thin on our church community stepping up to volunteer in person and online Oh, don't get me wrong. Many, many of you are committed and cheering us on and giving, but your cheering on and your virtual presence, for example, or semi-regular presence on a Sunday and giving though very helpful is not full engagement and it is having huge negative effects. Week after week, digitally and in person, people are coming back to church for the first time, or they're coming literally to church for the first time, or coming in years, and we cannot serve them because we just don't have the volunteers and they leave. Again, Pastor Holly was just telling me, I think it was last week, she had to shut down online prayer because we just couldn't get the volunteers to even pray with people. Before COVID, I think in our worship community, we had 90 plus volunteers. Now we have 40 plus just for five sites. Just talk to those who are faithfully setting up week in and week out at Pickering and Bowmanville. In other words, look, we as a church are in a real rock and hard place, a catch-22 situation. So over the next few weeks, Sam and I are going to begin to clarify what church is going to look like as we come out of this post-pandemic moment. Now, I also need to remind all of us that we still live either beside or in the largest city in our country. 6.3 million people live in the GTA. It's the most multicultural city on earth. 300 heart languages are spoken. And like I've preached for years, if Toronto is reached with the gospel, the impact globally overnight would be unbelievable. You might not know this, but in the last, I think, five or six months, Toronto has just been named one of the top 10 most influential cities In the earth, think about that. The harvest is bigger, grander, and if we reach what we believe God has even asked us to do, I think we'd be reaching 00015 percent of the GTA. That's our greater than you can ask or imagine moment. So what do we do? Well, if there's a small time period in the scriptures that sort of feel like and outline and inform and probably define what the next ministry run for our church is going to look like, It's just that very small time period right after the Easter event. Some of you know this because you have church history that after Jesus' physical resurrection and his ascension to heaven, there were 40 days. And just after Jesus went into heaven, there's 10 days between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost when the church was born and the Holy Spirit pours out and the world changed. 50 days, just under two months. This small window is probably the best And probably the most honest, informed picture of where we are right now as a local church and where we're going to be, I think, for a while. And if you read about those 50 days in scriptures, it's full of question and transition and hope and rebuilding and redefinition and recommissioning and struggle. Let me begin like this in Acts 2, 1. This is Luke writing in my former book, Theophilus. I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and began to teach until the day he was taken to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So I just want you to notice this. Jesus, between his resurrection from the dead and ascension, gave the most of his time to instruction Jesus begins and continues to teach them by the Holy Spirit. For 40 days after he rises from the dead, he spends this most precious time primarily teaching and then talking and healing and redirecting. Now, why is this such an important insight? Well, Jesus models this right at the beginning of our movement. And this is something we're going to experience over the next ministry year. Right understanding always will lead to the God-given moment if we want it. More about that in a a bit. He continues writing like this in verse 3. After Jesus suffered, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Our whole movement is based on the idea that Jesus was really here historically, was really killed historically, was really dead historically, and really physically came back from the dead. Our whole last series that we just finished was all about why this is not only true by faith, this is true by history and by fact. And I hope your faith was bolstered, challenged, strengthened, and even maybe saved. But there's more. In these 40 plus days, in these 10 appearances, five major things take place that I think really matter for us at Sanctus Church. The first thing is Jesus restored hope to all of his followers. That's the first thing. Second, Jesus restores his leaders. Third, Jesus works hard so people know what the real message of the kingdom is and what it's not. Fourth, he gives, this is interesting, partial empowerment for this moment. And lastly, he reaffirms his promises given before he died. Five critical things that did happen then, which I would say are happening to us now. So let's start with the very first one, restoring hope. Remember Easter Sunday morning, we hung out with a woman named Mary Magdalene, John 2015. Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, says, hey, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking it was a gardener, Mary said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said, Mary. And she turned around and yelled out, teacher. She turns. Remember, we talked about this. And she knows it's Jesus. She runs to Jesus. She hugs Jesus. She bear hugs Jesus. And Jesus' response to her is not what we expect. He's not rude or unkind. He's not, he's not like stopping so clingy. But he does say, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus' relationship with his followers is now going to have to change. Mary, the other women, the disciples, even his mom, all the first followers. This physical clinging is going to have to give way to faith. And notice what Jesus said, stop holding on and go and tell. Deep grief for Mary Magdalene is replaced by genuine joy. And by the way, side note, you can't hug a ghost. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her, hope, uh, excitement, joy, all that was lost came back, but it was even better this time. Keep reading verse 19 on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord overjoyed, ecstatic, extremely happy, cannot stop smiling, cannot believe my eyes better than the best gift I have ever gotten. Can't put this into words. So, just again, from Mary to the other women, to the 10 apostles, to Thomas later, then to 500. Joy, joy, joy. He gives joy, he encounters his whole community. That's the first moment. There's more. Jesus, of course, knows what is coming. He knows uh, there is so much more to take place. So he doesn't just restore hope across the community. He also spends significant times with the leaders he is appointing to restore them, empower them, and also recommission them. Peter is probably the most obvious out of all the stories during the first 40 days. Joel preached on this, I believe, last week. Jesus sits with Peter, his friend, the one that had betrayed him, the one that had cussed him off, the one that had denied him, the one who did everything he promised he would not do. And now Jesus is alive. And Jesus is recommissioning Peter to become the greater leader than he even was before. And he says one time, do you love me? And says again, do you love me? And then in John 21, 17, a third time, he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's the recommissioning. But can you hear the hurt? Why do you keep asking? I do love you. I know, Peter. I know you do. But you need to know that I love you and that you love me. Why? Because this is the foundation that will help you be faithful to my will. Think about this. If you do not know the full overwhelming love of God and you actually know or don't know you love him back, you'll never fully obey him. You'll never call on him. You'll never follow him to where he actually wants to take you. I don't know if you thought about this, but Peter uh, denies Jesus. Three times. Peter, his, his, his do you love me has been tested and found wanting three times. And what a great amazing thing that a mentor of mine, Daryl Johnson, pointed out. All of Peter's denials in the trials take place before a fire, a little coal fire. And now Peter's again in front of a small coal fire. I think Jesus intentionally used this to restore him. Uh, three denials, three confessions, and then three commissionings. Oh, the love of Jesus for Peter and us. See, only when we come to see what Jesus has not only done for us on the cross and what he's done in the resurrection, but what he continues to do in our walk, will we be willing to do anything he asks? Only when Jesus comes close and makes us look upon the things we want to avoid or run from or pretend are not there. Because when he does this, when Jesus speaks, he cleans, he applies power and life change takes place. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. When you were young, you were independent, you had your own way. But there's a future time coming that you'll be old and sick. Someone else is going to lead you and actually you're going to get crucified. Peter, you're going to die so other people know about me. Just like I died for you, you're going to die for me. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. Peter is restored to Jesus and ministry. Peter's been forgiven. Peter's been given a new lease on life. He's been told he'll do a profound ministry and he'll die for Jesus. I don't know, again, if you've thought about this, the only difference between Peter and Judas is repentance. And as we'll see in the next few weeks, many, many other leaders are re-empowered, recommissioned. New leaders are actually brought into the fold. Judas is replaced, I think, within the first 60 days and... A new moment takes place. So watch this. Number one, hope is restored to all the followers. Number two, leaders are recommissioned, repositioned, and told where they're going to go next. And then the third thing is this. There is an empowerment by the Holy Spirit for the moment. John 20, 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, now I'm going to send you. And with this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not given to all the followers at this moment. That comes later at Pentecost, when the church is born, and everyone gets the Holy Spirit, in, but they're empowered to keep going in the in-between. So let me do this again. Jesus works hard so the community can come back together. He takes time, serious time, to actually empower them and also to assure them. But he also begins, as we already read, to be, he begins to teach. Uh, Verse three, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God, teaching before full power. And the heart of Jesus' teaching always was the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, like I've shared before, is not a place. You can't physically find the kingdom of God. It's not the nation of Israel. You can't fly to it. It's not the local church or any church. The kingdom of God is not in geography. As one person said, the kingdom of God is any space or place where the reign and rule of God is welcome, embraced, and accepted. This is going to matter. We'll get to it later. But just remember, Jesus begins to teach about what matters in this moment. Well, somewhere in the middle of those 40 days of mystery and joy, something also changed. He says in Acts 1:4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, now after proving Jesus is alive, after teaching them, after walking with them, after eating with them, after giving everyone hope, after rebuilding friendships, after restoring leaders, Jesus now says, I'm gonna leave. And I've told you this again and again. But in a few days, not some of you, all of you are going to be dunked, baptized in the spirit. Um, This was also talked about in one of the original encounters where Jesus also speaks in Luke 24, 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power. I told this years ago uh, when I was in uh, grade seven and grade eight, uh, uh, I went to a junior high attached to a high school, and um, my parents weren't wealthy. My parents weren't even, like, upper middle class, and I could never afford uh, the clothing that was cool in the moment, and so there was a guy uh, named Brad. I forget his last name, but he was the guy. There's always one or two of these people. He was the guy that everyone looked up to. Everyone, he was the best dressed. He was ultra popular. Everyone was just like, Brad. And in my time, I know I'm almost 47, my time, the place where you shopped was a place called Randy River. Some Gen Xers are going to be yelling out in their living rooms right now. It was the place where if you wore that stuff, it was pretty amazing. And I just want to say to all the Gen Zs out there, some of the stuff you're wearing is what I used to try to afford at Randy River. Anyway, side note. So um, I remember that I saved my money, and my parents saved some money. And I was able to buy one outfit from Randy River. And so I picked it out. And I curated it, as we'd say now. And it was just so amazing. And, and I had a similar um, build uh, b- to Brad back then. And I actually had hair. I used to have hair. And so I dressed up that one day. And I came in. And I was clothed. And when I walked in, people thought I was Brad from the back. They're like, hey, Brad. And I turned around. And they were like, oh. <gasps> They were like, "You got, who are you? Because they couldn't believe the transformation that had happened because of my clothing from Randy River. And they were just like, oh my goodness, you look so different. You look so amazing. And they loved me for five hours. And then, of course, I only had one outfit. And then how does that work the next day? Uh, the point is this. Clothing uh, has great power, we know, in our society, in any society. It can change you for a moment. But this clothing... This empowerment from the inside out, now it changes you permanently. Jesus said to them, I'm gonna leave because the Holy Spirit is gonna be given to all of you. Uh, Everything I promised, this is important, before my death is still gonna happen now. Can you, by the way, in context, imagine hearing this as an Orthodox Jew and a follower of Jesus the Messiah. You're saying the same Holy Spirit that hovered over creation at Genesis is gonna be inside of me. The same presence, the pillar of cloud and fire when the Jews were in the wilderness with Moses is gonna be inside of me. The same presence that showed up at the giving of the 10 commandments or the dedication of the tabernacle and the temple. The same fire that came down and consumed the altar with a t- in the time of Elijah and 1 Kings 18. You mean the same presence that Isaiah and Ezekiel experienced when they were called to be prophets, the same glory that shone around the shepherds when the angels announced your birth, Jesus, the same power that overshadowed Mary, the same spirit that was given to you at your baptism. We're all going to get that. Yes, everything I promised you before is still intact today. Now, Here's what's really amazing. We'd expect, wow, amazing, speechless, this generosity, grace, mercy, it's only gonna get better. But instead we see how broken, human, self-centered and distracted they still are. The very next thing they say is verse six is this, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? Oh, facepalm, what? What? Have you not been hearing what I've been teaching you for three years? See, they are still lured back to wrong thinking and wrong desires. They want a territorial kingdom, a national kingdom. Since Jesus is risen from the dead, he's like, okay, now you're going to set up a military uh, spiritual kingdom. You're going to deal with the Romans. You're going to get rid of all the false pastors and leaders. You're going to destroy all the enemies of the Jews. You're going to make Israel great again. I mean, that's what they're thinking. You're going to make it the center of the world, religious, military, everything. See, in this transitional season, in this very difficult moment, we as a church and you as an individual will be tempted to think that social progress or something else is going to make the the thing better. But it's not. Like I've shared so many times before, Canada is really post-Christian now. I've been trying to prepare our community for years that it's not going to be the same. And like I've shared before, it's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to know it. It's another thing to feel it. We are quickly being moved from the center to the margin of society. Not only are we post-Christian, it seems we're actually becoming post-secular. There's a hunger for something more, something ancient, something old. It's paganism. There's the exaltation of self. We now teach and believe that what I feel is the truth. We're the authority on our own stories. God and God's word is not the authority. My truth, my feelings, my facts, my story, my pain, my trauma, my history, my, my, my. See, you know as a culture, we have crossed a threshold. When a Roman Catholic priest and a pro-choice feminist professor and an atheistic evolutionary biologist are all now considered dangerous and hateful in our society because they believe in some absolutes around gender. Who could have ever imagined? And not only that, as one wrote, religious liberty is increasingly be viewed with suspicion. It's viewed in our culture as a ploy for special privileges for some or a way to deprive rights of others. Even though democracy was based on religious freedom, now it's viewed with suspicion. More and more Christians just want to practice their faith in our country without being demonized to a fail this new fundamentalism of progressivism. In Quebec, they tried banning, I don't know if you remember, religious symbols from workplaces a few years ago. We as a church, with all the other churches in our country, along with Muslims and Jews, were totally shocked when the federal government said to us, well, you can't get summer grant money unless you have a pro-choice worldview, and you must you must do this attestation. We were blindsided. And see, again, as I'm saying this, I mean, you're like, that's right, let's tweet, let's protest, let's, let's take a stand, pastor, let's take to the tre- streets, let's go to the courts. But see, this whole idea that we're going to place all our eggs in the basket of religious freedom and liberty is not the answer. I mean, let me just, again, do this, even if you don't want to. As Christians, we're never promised religious freedom in the Bible. Just because we had something good doesn't mean we get to keep it. And let me bring this closer to home. Biblically engaged churches must reject and renounce what we see in other churches that are giving into a different idol that feels nice but is not God, and it is the idea of Christian nationalism. Let me read a quote from an American author, but it still applies up here. Christianity, writes, is a religion. It's a set of beliefs about ultimate things. Most importantly, life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus It's drawn from the Bible, the Nicene Creed, and the Apostles' Creed. Christian nationalism is a political ideology about the American or another identity. It, it, idealizes, it uh, idealizes and it advocates a fusion of Christianity with civic life. That's a great way of understanding. Christian nationalism believes that the American nation, as an example, is defined by Christianity and the government should take steps to keep it that way, to sustain and maintain our Christian heritage. It's not an observation of an American history. It's a prescription of what we should do in the future. We should sustain and our, our, continue our identity as a Christian nation. That's Christian nationalism. But here's the problem with that. And I know it's American, but it's really up here too. There's no such thing. Christians are people that accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We belong to the kingdom of God. We're called to be amazing citizens. Yes, influence the law. Yes, uh, uh, fight for liberty, of course. But when you declare a nation Christian, you water down the gospel, you remove the call for real conversion. See, the disciples wanted a political religious kingdom. The Pharisees wanted the same thing. But what did Jesus say in Luke 1720? The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. So again, Perfect storm, massive church shutdowns, the world with all of its faiths in the greater Toronto area, religious liberty for Christians and others under attack in a progressive way in the West in some form. And at the same time, many Christians are trying to recover something that's not actually fully from God in the first place as the answer to the problems we're facing. And we're still coming out of a pandemic. I know Russia invaded Ukraine and we were like nuclear war, really? And then we're still trying to understand the role of the government in our lives. And then there's all the violence we're watching, see the temptation is, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom and make things in our image so we feel in control and we feel safe? It's not time. It's not, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father sent by his own authority. Oh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit lightens on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Oh, not by voting and not by violence and not by making one group look like another, not by manipulation or forced coercion, but by the Spirit. Self-sufficiency and self-confidence is death in our movement. You can never be sent to overcome all the non-stop and ever-growing complex barriers we're facing on our own power. Jesus says, I'm not sending you out in your own power, not in your own ability, but with the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit on, on God's mission. You're just joining him. Oh, and after this, he, he said these things. He was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay, what are we to expect this summer? What are we to expect as a local church this coming year? And beyond, probably, at Sanctus. Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the on-ground, on-the-ground implications of our current reality. Ministries and budgets and staffing and multi-site, all of it. But what can we expect here? Well, number one, Jesus will continue to restore hope to those that are left in this church and also those in the church. Just like Mary and just like Thomas and John and Peter and then the 500, he will continue to meet. And if you remember the last series, Jesus met in groups and Jesus met very personally with people. Jesus is going to restore hope across this church. Your job, if you want to say it that, or my job, or my posture and your posture, is to remain open and expectant. In other words, to actually say, yes, I actually believe you are going to restore my hope. The joy of my salvation is the old way of saying it. I think he's going to do that in this moment. I think genuinely, genuinely, Jesus, the risen Christ, is going to continue to reestablish and rebuild hope. Second, across our church, across the churches in the GTA and across the church in Canada, myself and many others have been in in these conversations, Jesus has already begun to sit with leaders, to speak to leaders, to restore leaders, to recommission leaders, and in many cases, reassign leaders. As he's preparing this church, and the Canadian church for this next season we never expected. So hope, restoration, the recommissioning, and also the reestablishing or repurposing of leaders across this church, that's going to take place. Third, by God's word and by Jesus' spirit, we're going to be invited into truly understand the real Christian gospel and worldview. If there is ever a time (laughs) to truly understand what the Christian faith is and what it's not and what it's never going to be and what it will always be, now is the time. Jesus spent so much time in those 40 days teaching, not musings, not thoughts, instructing and commanding, actually, and enforcing and encouraging. That's why our major series next year will be out of Romans because if there's one book in the Bible that truly sort of is the book within the book that outlines all the core things, it's this. So Jesus restoring hope personally, individually, and in groups and in connect groups and in cross worship gatherings, yes. And at the same time, the recommissioning, repurposing, encountering with leaders, and probably the raising up, of course, of many new leaders, the teaching, the strengthening of what a biblical worldview is. Fourth, we should be looking for and expecting empowerment in this 50-day moment. It's not a literal 50 days. To keep us going. He's with us. He's going to sustain us. He's, he's going to give us power beyond our own in this rebuilding moment. He promises that. And lastly... Just like he said in the original community, um, that everything that he had said and promised before his death would take place. So the same with us. God has been really clear with our church. He has given us promises, and those have not changed. So, of course, a new and larger move of God in time will come. But there's this in-between moment between Jesus' death and resurrection and then his as Ascension, and then Pentecost. And so we should have great expectation that if we, of course, are willing to follow him, all the things he's promised will take place. And yet it's clear today is that we, as we begin to rebuild and find new rhythms, and as people begin to serve, and people begin to choose digital or physical as their primary place of worship and serving, there's still going to be a lot of wandering and wondering in the middle. And that's okay. That's why I just wanted to start the series this way. This is what Jesus is going to do. Restore hope. recommission, repurpose leaders. He, he, he is going to empower us. By his spirit. He, he is going to build a stronger, deeper Christian worldview. For we who continue to remain faithful in Christ. And he's still going to continue to work out his father's purposes, his father's will for this church in this season. What a time to be alive, right? What a time to be in a church. What a time to lead. But for some reason, God knew this was going to happen and decided that we were supposed to be here for this run. So let's just pray this. Thanks that you've never left us or forsaken us. Now in this rebuilding moment, we just ask, restore hope to every single person in our church in Jesus' name. Speak to and commission, recommission, and call up leaders. Whether they're they're elders, whether they're staff members, whether they're volunteer leaders, would you do this? Would you strengthen and build out a biblical worldview deeper and stronger than it's ever been? Would you give us supernatural, like breathe on our church, Jesus. Empower us in the middle. And lastly, Lord, again, we lay all the promises before you that you've promised us as a local church and pray that through your, in, <laughs> through your power uh, that you'd make the impossible possible. Yeah, clothe us, Lord, with power that actually is way beyond what we've got. Give us hope, we ask in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Really look forward to being with you next week as we continue to work out uh, next steps uh, for our church and our community. We'll see you then.